0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to New Recording. I'm your host, Pola. Coming to this episode with a little bit of a feeling of victory, I'm not going to lie, this is actually the second time that uh, I tried to film this particular episode. The first time I tried to do so in a studio that wasn't my own, and it was a complete disaster. Nevertheless, she persisted, and I'm so glad that I did because this is definitely one of the most interesting, I think, ideological, heady conversations that I think this season has to offer. Um, No doubt it's because it's with one of the most, uh, one of the smartest, most open-hearted people I know, Evan Walsh. Evan has been there for me in ways that I can't even begin to describe since I moved to New York. Um, So it was really nice to get to hand over the mic to someone who's been there for me in so many ways, uh, because I'm a firm believer that, um, you know, processing and talking through our voice notes is a form of healing. Um, And so it was nice to give a little piece of that back to someone who's brought so much healing to my life. Um, So keep listening to hear us get into his artistry, uh, the idea of escape and unlocking the puzzle. Thank you to Scope of Work for sponsoring this episode, and thank you for listening. So I'm really glad you're willing to come in and, and do take two with me.
1: Absolutely.
0: Thank God for you. And, and and also at a time like this, I don't know if it's like cancer season or like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I've just been, I, I don't know, maybe not feeling my best, and it was hard getting out of bed this morning. How was getting out of bed this morning for you?
1: It was oh. It was like I had that bodega eggs last night.
0: Oh my you have breakfast for for late night. Always
1: <laughs> only thing to do woke up and I was like, ooh, I shouldn't have eaten 20 minutes before bed. So
0: that's rough. Like, I woke up. I was like <gasps> It's uh, would you consider yourself a morning person?
1: I Don't know. I feel like I'm all of the above. Yeah, you're,
0: you're definitely a breakfast person, but are you yes. a morning person?
1: I'm not like a type a morning person and like let's wake up early and do Everything like I'm gonna go run and do this and that. But I definitely love the morning. But I'm not like I'm a type a type B morning person. Okay,
0: like a secondary okay. That makes sense. I, I've i like definitely this year really taken up the title of morning person, taking it very seriously, been that person going for bike rides, working out in the morning when the time changed. I was just like up Let me five, commit. six AM every day. Whereas before I was like, you know, staying up late for Other reasons, and I don't know if it's because I've been traveling a lot lately, but I've just both felt, like, really tired in the morning, obviously, but also just mood, like, so depleted, and I had to really remind myself, like, you need to get, you need to get into, like, this is your therapy, like, this is going to make you feel good, and I already feel better being here with you, so. Yes. Thank you, despite not, despite being a type B morning person, thank you for Joining me. OT,
1: you and I need to, like, take three days to do nothing after the last three weeks. I know. (laughs) And it's funny because I
0: was meant to have, like, been on vacation. And I do feel really refreshed, like, in a sense. But I also feel like I've just been feeling weird lately. I don't know what it is.
1: We need, like... After Pride Month we need like a four day like no one talk to me, don't come near me. I'm sleeping, just, I'm wait. doing face masks.
0: Like, <laughs> I need like a year and off. I'm
1: drinking water.
0: <laughs> oh god. Um well we kind of just like dove right into it. But if you wanna take a minute to like maybe introduce yourself. By name and then um, any way of identifying yourself. You could do the classic. So so, so you have the context for this mm-hmm. uh, that I usually explain to people of something that I stole from our job <laughs> is the um, not like having to identify yourself by like what you do, yes. but like, you know, choosing freely. Whew. So who are
1: you? Who am I? um apparently i'm a leo <laughs>
0: <laughs> start with leo not even my name people don't even know your name and you're like i'm a what if your name was leo
1: oh my cool. god um my name's evan walsh <laughs> I love evan blaze walsh yes as the as the girls call me on mm-hmm.
0: instagram
1: hashtag ebw hashtag ebw journal <laughs> <laughs> um i'm a photographer writer um as our dear friend tony patrick calls me he Says, I'm an aspiring practic- practitioner of narrative medicine. Oh, I love that phrase. That's
0: beautiful. Wait, what does that mean to you?
1: It means uh, to use narrative or create narrative and share it as an act of like helping other people heal or find my own healing or collective healing as a group.
0: And um, narrative meaning like
1: any type of storytelling, story yeah,
0: like visual or like written,
1: yeah, or oral. So I've I feel like when he said that phrase to me, we were like on a call and he was, we were both like, and I feel like that really encapsulates um, kind of my mission as an artist and a person both in life and in my artistic practice. I feel like it's all unified under this goal to, yeah, help other people heal from their unrecognized trauma. Especially, I work a lot with narratives of white men because I think none of the white men in my life really want to... Especially the white male artists in my life, none of them want to, they want to go out into other communities and talk about other problems, but they don't want to look within. And so I feel like, especially in the last year or two, I really made a commitment to actually like reckoning that, no, it's okay to only focus on this group because no one's doing it and Mm. we need to look from within. And so being queer, I think I have the insider outsider perspective of seeing the group as it is, but also being able to step outside of it a little bit to give analysis and and not be afraid of, like, disrupting what I see.
0: Yeah, that's really beautiful. I'm always fascinated by, okay, not to sound like a fucking sociopath, <laughs> but fascinated by people who describe, like, com- compulsions or mm. motivations to help other people i know that sounds crazy but it's something mm. that i think about a lot because it's something i definitely have desire for much in the same way that i want to be like a more empathetic person for example mm. i feel like those two two things are tied to like empathy and wanting to help people where do you think because because you and i have also talked a lot about like um i don't know making sure that we're good and healed ourselves before like extending that Mm -hmm. to others. Where do you think that like, and this is coming from someone who's like purely seeking that. Where do you think that like compulsion to help other people comes from? Mm. And, and as as someone who I can say like, you've helped me so much in my life. So I'm like, how can I get into that? And like, where can I, where can I draw that more organic desire to like really be like selfless? Mm. Where did that come from?
1: I'm humbled that you said that. Um, I I for me I, there's always like this this kind of I guess sense memory that I carry of being in high school at an all-boys Catholic mostly white prep school outside in the suburbs of Philadelphia and I I remember I had this group of friends who of course now they're all queer some of them at the time we knew that some of them we didn't know um but we would wake up every morning and I would get off the bus and there was like a back exit to the the high school and there was the chorus room and the band. They had their own hallway. It was an annex of the, the high school. And so all of the nerds and the geeks and and the, but also there was a few jocks that were uh, like in the band or in chorus. And so every morning, you where know, did
0: you fall in that? spectrum.
1: I was in chorus, not that I could sing, but you had to do something to have a a social right to be in that hallway. (laughs) So I was like, I will be in chorus.
0: You just knew, like, that's the place where I need to be. Yes. Get me there.
1: I definitely, um, my first foray with it was, I discovered that when we had to go to the football games, which was, you know, a social right at all boys prep school, if you didn't go, you just had no chance of making friends because that was the only social event you know, all fall, the first, like, semester of freshman year. So I would hang out with the pep band, and and that led me to this hallway. Um, And, yeah, I discovered, like, a burgeoning group of all these young queer people. Of course, when I was 14, I didn't know I was queer, and a lot of the people around me didn't. Um, And I fell into this group of friends that, over a course of four years, dealt with, like, such extreme, like, social issues Um, and had no language for it. We had no support, no, like, societal conversation. Um, And we were in an all-boys school, so everything was outside of the frame of, oh, well, there's men men and women, and they have this relationship, and the problems exist in this framework. Mm -hmm. We were in a completely Mm -hmm. different societal framework, but we were all gay in a culture that, you know, everyone was really touchy and homoerotic, and so... (laughs)
0: Uh, the the prep school, okay. This is an aside, but I'm so fascinated by prep school culture in general. I actually didn't fully register that you went to prep school because I have such a specific, like, view of that and like, yeah, the the culture surrounding it and like feeder schools and like the people who those people become, you know. Yes,
1: it definitely wasn't a boarding school vibe, but it was definitely a prep school vibe, if that makes sense. It's a delineation, but. Um, yeah, I had one of my best friends, um, in high school, I won't say his name because of privacy, but he had been sexually assaulted when he was in seventh grade and, oh my gosh. Yeah. And it was by another, it was by an older man, like, like someone who was like older in high school. And so Mm, so he kind of. Was telling everyone about it, and we were at the time I was being bullied by another queer person in my grade who he was the other queer person. Um, he was like this really rich, wealthy person who he was really effeminate and was just an easy target because mm. he had all these reasons why everyone around him should hate him, and so he tried to redirect all the people bullying him towards me by then like starting rumors about me, oh and my then. Gosh. We were just surrounded by all of these different personalities that were dealing with these really toxic scenarios. And wait,
0: why do you think he targeted you?
1: Um, well, we were on the sa- we were on the same bus, so we knew oh, each okay. other. So there was we were in really close social proximity.
0: Like I recognize something of myself in you. Yeah. Like let me just project as hard as I can.
1: I remember just looking around at all those queer people in the chorus room. It was like this big room with all of the chairs on the bleachers and just seeing all my queer friends and thinking, none of you have any support or systems. And I remember when my friend was sexually assaulted trying to talk to one of the, the um, instructors at the school, um, the chorus director, he was like the, you know, he, was, he took care of all of the queer kids, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he was that person on TV. And, you know, he was helpful and he was really insightful. And then I went and talked to the school, but nothing really escalated, I think, because he was, first of all, he was a man who was sexually assaulted. And at the time, of course, there was, there's not a lot of language about that experience now, but back then there definitely wasn't. And he was, oh, yeah. you know, it was 2009 and we were all queer and everyone knew we were queer on top of it, but we were at a Catholic school and no one wanted to reckon with it. And I just spent four years completely in suspension with all of these people who were clearly going through things and everyone around us knew and they saw it and they didn't have any language and they didn't want to do anything. And I just from like, I think that sense impression of that period is always with me. Mm. Um because later on in my journey in high school, I actually like I found some healing through a lot of the mentors in my life. None of them were queer at the time, you know, a lot of mentors at school. And then I ended up kind of becoming and creating some resources at my school like thinking back that's such a crazy labor for
0: i know see this is where i'm so interested in like this desire to be an advocate comes from and i'm like we can put it down to like you said Leo you know, like a natural just sort of inclination to problem solve that I see in you. Yeah. But even like from the beginning, from like helping your friend, from like being that person who, you know, I see these people around me don't have like the tools to help or support themselves. Like I'm going to be that one where you're also dealing with so much confusion and sort of like lack of resources yourselves. I think that's what I'm interested in too is like, I don't know. Again, as someone who like, has a desire but not like a that that's the sort of thing that just come doesn't come naturally to me so i'm really interested and fascinated like where that inclination comes from to be an advocate for other people
1: yeah there was this collective feeling that if one of us didn't do something we weren't going to get through this Mm. and so i felt like you're like i'm the one yeah i mean i would not i don't think i saw it that way i was just responding by instinct but i just i just kind of was like if i don't if i don't really try to tackle this and kind of get through this and create something out of this then we're all like not gonna make it like that was literally the feeling I mean you know I just it sticks with me as I get older that there are people out there that have no language they have no resources and not only queer people a lot of the straight people around me I think later on in that journey I realized that actually by showing up and being so transparent and being so emotive and you know, I started to get a lot of straight people from like when I was a senior in high school, I got a lot of straight people who were, who were cl- clinging to me in different ways. And that's a lot of labor. And I think it took me a lot of time to learn how to balance and mitigate what are, what am I offering? When am I willing to offer it? Who am I willing to offer it for? And what are, what, you know, what's the kind of reciprocity? So that was a journey that I had to go on. But
0: yeah, I know you've described that as like a survival um, mechanism Absolutely. before. Right. But like, at what point does that survival start to just, like, take so much of you that it it, it actually is, is to your detriment?
1: Yeah. I, I just – I genuinely felt like I was on my own. Like, I had to figure it out on my own. And I think that was a feeling that really stuck with me until the pandemic where I finally had to be, like, you can't always live as if you're doing everything on your own because you're not. Mm. But if you're acting that way, you're going to, like, burn yourself to the ground because you're just going to keep spinning and keep running because you think that there's no one there to catch you, you know? So –
0: well, let's turn the magnifying glass back on, on the detective a little bit. <laughs> um, so before we get into that, though, we should talk a little bit about voice memos. Voice memos. That's why we're here today. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about how you've used voice memos um, in the past?
1: So I only have two voice memos. You've
0: only recorded two voice memos in your life?
1: Well, a lot. Well, some of them are more academic where I'm recording something like from class or I think I have probably like 50 voice memos but there's only two where I made the intention of oh I'm going to record this because this is something I want to remember mm-hmm. Um, or three maybe there's one where I, w- I kind of recorded a, like a, a sonic meditation for myself of, of where I was in a really meditative state and I just recorded my feelings to the Um, it's probably really incoherent I haven't listened to it Actually, there's four. They're coming back to your life.
0: <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, two? Because yeah, people don't people don't realize, and it, it it doesn't have to be like any type of voice memo with like intentionality yeah. to it. But it's just I'm really interested in exploring the ways that intentional or not, like what are people recording? Like what is worthy of documentation in, in different yeah. people's minds?
1: For me, it's definitely processing. Um, I there's if if you went into my voice memos, I mean, there's two types where there's this, you know, the main two I'm thinking about are conversations. One I recorded <laughs> without permission. And then the other... Been there. I recorded Done with that. permission. <laughs>
0: um,
1: a conversation that I was afraid if I didn't record it, I would forget or miss words. And that I was thinking that in those conversations, something might have been unearthed that shifted, like, the entire paradigm of my life and my being. Oh, my gosh. And so it's this fear that if I don't remember it right, how will I read? program myself according to these conversations um and I think the the two voice memos I sent you or two yeah those two were having conversations with two friends from home kind of about different queerness and different very different and my own experience of different different forms and how they were perceiving me through that process
0: mm. wow so can you give, like, a little bit, because we're only listening to, like, a clip of one today. Mm-hmm. Can you give, like, a little bit more context or maybe elaborate more on the one um, that that I chose for us?
1: Yeah, so that's with my best friend, Aaron, who we we went to high school together. He's straight. He's, I don't want to say conservative. He's more of a libertarian. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Um, but he's, he, you know, he's somewhere in that, in that spectrum. Um, you know, he's Puerto Rican. He is very white passing. So he basically went through all of high school, just passing as white. And
0: Mm. wait, so so wait, but not a part of the prep school experience.
1: He was in prep school. Oh, he was. Okay. Yeah. He was at prep school with me.
0: Was that like middle and high school? Just high school. Oh, okay. 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 So he was a part of the, like, the chorus gang. Yeah,
1: he was in the band. He played trombone.
0: Mm, a brass instrument. A brass instrument.
1: <laughs> and we kind of orbited each other all through high school. And it wasn't until senior year we were on a senior retreat where they you go on this week-long retreat. And they, they randomly assign groups. Um, and they are supposed to not assign groups that are friends. But people didn't realize that Aaron and I were in the same friend group. So we got to go and retreat together and I just learned, I got to learn a lot about him. And I went, he went from being this person who felt like the most unlikely close friend to becoming one of my, like, literally my best friend in in the world.
0: Oh my God. Um, What did you see in him that that made you feel like you could like have a, a long lasting connection?
1: He has a deep commitment to really understanding People, their behaviors, why people do things. He also is an incredible listener. And, I mean, we've we've shared a lot of traumatic experiences and relationships. And we were kind of in a friend group that was really toxic together. And for a long time, we were on oppositional planes in the friend group. And then we later realized what was going on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and became really close friends. And so we also had that trauma bonding thing. Um, but even before that, it was just he has this intense admiration for any person who is willing to process and work through their struggle. Um, And, you know, he comes at it from a very different, like, bootstraps kind of mentality, which, of course, for me can be frustrating if we get into arguments about all sorts of things. Um, But at the end of the day, we always have a commitment to really understand what the other person is feeling. And I just admire that. I think if more people were like him... We would have way less political issues, and we might actually like be a better society.
0: Mm, oh, I love that! So we're gonna be listening to like maybe like an interview style you did with Aaron and one other person I think in the mix who yeah. was just like a, a, a Kyle was Kyle a was, our
1: friend. Kyle was there, um, a witness. Kyle is called uh, Aaron's college roommate, and we were camping in uh, last summer. In, June, in August, so it's the first time seeing people during the pandemic took the risk to go camping outside, which, of course, now we know is literally so fine. Um, but at the time, it did feel that way. And, yeah, I basically am interviewing him about... Um, he had moved to Chicago uh, after college, and it was after um, the kind of fall, falling apart of him and my... Um, relationship with one of our best friends who i call parker um that's his like alias (laughs) in my writing um parker was really manipulative and um he is queer um and so aaron and i both had very different toxic emotionally abusive relationships with him aaron's was more of a friendship and mine was more of a big Question mark. Mm,
0: Um, I know the question mark. Yeah. Far too well. In in a painful, in a painful way.
1: Yeah. So the interview is me basically trying to um, ask Aaron how he saw me evolve through that, but also to try to understand why did he leave and was it this fracture that sent him to Chicago? And in the recording, he basically says, yeah, I had to go because I, this was too traumatic and I needed time to process and so
0: that's a lot that's heavy and I'm so excited for like obviously you documented this for a reason right to to what end like obviously how it, and how it's going to manifest in your work and your artistic practice is something that I'm really excited to see come out what I'm more interested in talking about today is this really beautiful moment and we'll listen to the voice note in a second mm-hmm. where Aaron sort of like turns it back on you so everything that you just said about aaron like being such a great listener and having a commitment to understanding people like even in a moment where you're sort of initiating this um i don't know uh, w- working through this together and being like hey what was your experience like i see i see your friendship in that and him being mm-hmm. like well let me let me let me pass you the mic for a minute so let's take let's take pause let's just listen to this real quick and then we'll be back
1: dude what a question What am I looking for? I I had this moment when I was leaving New York, I went on my roof, because that was like a ritual I had. Mm -hmm. It was like really gray, like it was surrounded by all these gray buildings. So when it was raining, it almost seemed like you were just like in a a gray Mm -hmm. whatever. So my last night in New York, it it was big thunderstorm and it was kind of far off. And so I was just standing on my roof and I was watching like lightning horizontal across the the summer sky, and I was just kind of like, I remember looking, turning, Now I was facing away from Manhattan, and then I could see Manhattan from my roof, and I just turned towards the World Trade Center, and my brain was just like, holy fuck, I didn't get any of the things I came here for. Like, none of it. None of it. And then I was like, I couldn't even remember. It was like I had invented this idea of, like, my whole life, I was, like, escaping this toxic shit, and I was going to move to New York. And I was going to, like, fall in love. And I was going to, like, write a book. And I was going to, like, work. And I was going to, like, become a writer. And, like, I was just going to do all these things. And then I was, like, I ended up working at this crazy art job and meeting all these amazing people. And then I made amazing friends. And then I became really close friends with my mentor. But I now none of that was, like, on the list. Yeah, yeah. Like, and all the things that were on the list that I was so convinced would fulfill me that I was still kind of searching for. Like, and I was, like, oh, I'm going to have... I always was like, I'm going to get that big group of gay friends, like, I'm going to have that New York experience where it's like, you know, the eight of us, they were all, we all live in the same neighborhood and we yeah. like go to, out and sit out in the park and like, yeah. I would just have this vision that it was going to be all about friendship and love and like, it was, but it was really like kind of lonely and it was about work. Yeah. Um, but I needed to be alone, like I needed three years to like process the last seven years of my life and like i i remember when i first got there i was like i just felt invisible like i felt like anywhere i went like you could just see right through me Mm -hmm. i was a reflection of other people Mm -hmm. because i didn't i didn't want to unearth like myself Mm -hmm. so i remember like standing on my roof in new york that day and being like holy shit like what am i looking for Mm -hmm. because i didn't get any of the things that i'm looking for and like I just remember being like, damn, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to figure it out. But, like...
0: That's all you can do if you don't. Yeah. yeah.
1: The last month, like, being home, I felt more aligned with, like, myself than I ever have. And it's the first time in my life ever that I'm not beholden to a script. Mm-hmm. As long as I was in that apartment in New York, I would be measuring my life against the dream I had when I yeah. was 18. Yeah. And once I, like... Once COVID hit and I, and mm-hmm. life was like Well you can't do this anymore You literally have to go I was suddenly fr- I literally I never wrote the script of my life past this point I feel like I've healed a lot And now I'm trying to figure out like How can I bring that healing to other people mm-hmm. Who are going through shit Like In a very again. I feel like Pennsylvania too It's like, There's this confluence of like All these very conflicting like cultures Of like Forgotten people in the Poconos who, like, are really sad and their lives have fallen apart. And then, like, people in the city who, like, experience immense, like, segregation and poverty. And, like, we're all in this, like, culture war. And I'm like, I just want us all to, like, heal. And I'm like, where do I fit in this picture? And that's what I'm looking for now. So I don't know what that looks like. But I just know that I'm like, if I tell my story and I, like, open up to other people, I find that it it unlocks things.
0: Hey popping in to say this conversation was so juicy we actually had to make it a two-parter. Are you absolutely hanging on the edge of your seat? I know I am. Stay tuned for the next episode um, in which Evan and I will unpack what we've all just heard. We will be back soon, sooner than soon. I love you all. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Scope of Work for sponsoring this episode. And we'll catch you next time on new recording. Bye.